Welcome to the Truth CSGO Podcast, episode 59. Today we are talking the iBuyPower Masters, the NA Miners, the Asia Miners, the E-League Invitational, and an ode to Simple, the number one player of 2018. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Ferry. Code Zero. Flusher. This is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO Podcast. The Truth CSGO Podcast. The Truth CSGO Podcast. Are we rushing in? So in between this podcast and the last one, we had the second and last day of the iBuyPower Masters. The first day was an absolute shambles production-wise. The second day wasn't a huge amount better, but they did end on a more interesting note because Liquid managed to beat Astralis in the finals, netting themselves $100,000. This is the first time Liquid has beat Astralis in a best of three. They beat them 2-1 over Inferno, Dust2, and Overpass. And Naf was the MVP. He had a rating of 1.3 over eight maps and the highest total kills and the highest total assists. And he got this from, in his own words, baiting pretty hard. Now, the standings were in this tournament, Liquid, Astralis, Fnatic, and Ghost, Cloud9 and Phase, Complexity, and Luminosity. It didn't look like Astralis were actually playing their total A game. This could have been perhaps because they were at somewhat of a disadvantage compared to Liquid, being uh, the out-of-towners, having flown over from Europe and suffering from some sort of travel um, lag I'm sure as opposed to Liquid who were basically playing on home soil but it did look like the addition of Stewie 2k has actually been a very good thing for this roster including Adren as the coach I can't remember exactly which player said it but someone intimated that Adren has actually brought to the team some discipline and structure and strat sort of level thinking that Zeus was not bringing so that's uh, somewhat of a surprise but obviously something that uh, a casual observer could not have predicted, and that's awesome. This is perhaps the X factor that these guys need to stop them from choking when they've got a lead and they start to lose a bit and uh, lose their confidence a bit in these best of threes that we've seen. Anyway, the spell is broken, which bodes well for the upcoming major. These two are obviously the favorite teams to play at the major. And now that the curse has been lifted... And they've managed to beat Astralis. Anything could happen. I think before this result, it was still very much uh, looking like a one-sided matchup. And now that they've beaten these guys, it's like the dam has burst. The seal has been broken. And I think we're going to have some uh, fun games for sure if these two teams manage to face up at the major. Um, What was interesting about this tournament was that we had some uh, debuts of new lineups. Of course, we had Phase, we had Complexity, we had uh, Liquid themselves, we had Ghost, and we had Zelsus playing on Cloud9. I think out of all of the teams, obviously Liquid's landed on their feet the most, and I think Complexity look like the team who are a little bit more lost in the addition of their new players, Nothing and Rikay. And they didn't do too well at the E-League Invitational as well, which we'll get onto in a second, but let's move on to the NA Minor which was also played out this week alongside the Asia Minor. So there were eight teams competing in the NA Minor, and it was won by NRG, with Furia coming second, and then Envy, Ince, Bravado, Team One, E-United, and Imperial. 
NRG were, of course, the favourites, and they certainly delivered. Breezy deserved a special mention as he was playing absolutely out of his mind. He actually ended the playoffs with a rating of 1.48 overall. Furia were a bit of a surprise, actually. Case Serato we spoke about last week as basically the only name I knew on that roster. He certainly had a great showing. And actually, Furia only lost to NRG at this uh, these playoffs, and they actually beat Envy twice 2-0. The highest rated player on that team, actually, and the one who impressed me the most was Yuri, a.k.a. Yuri Santos, who's a 19-year-old. Now, Bravado, of course, we spoke about as having a lot to prove in this major and potentially, or this minor, I should say, and potentially having a lot riding on their victory uh, vis-a-vis sponsorship. Now, they're bowing out of this tournament is perhaps a blow to the dream of sponsorship and staying in the U.S. They actually announced uh, a couple of days ago, I think, that they have ended their Indiegogo campaign, not having made enough money in the pledges and are returning all the money to those who did pledge. So that's sad to see, but uh, hopefully they'll find themselves a juicy sponsorship coming out of South Africa and they'll be back in the saddle soon enough. As for INTZ or INTZ, we did get a very impressive showing out of KNG, showing that he's still got the hunger to compete at a high level. And actually, I was quite impressed with Cello. Cello's been banding, bandied about for a while as a, as a Brazilian player. He's been uh, moved back and forth between a few teams over the last couple of years and doesn't really get much respect, but I thought he put up a very good showing at these minors. Now, another team that we were uh, focusing on heavily last week, of course, was Envy, who had Carrigan as the, how should we say, fly-by-night uh, in-game leader who came in to see uh, whether or not he could take these guys to the major. Now, there's very opinions, varying, opi- varying opinions as to how well he actually did and whether or not he took this team to the next level. Some would say that bringing this team of misfits somewhat into, well, as close as they did to getting into the major is a, is a, is a, pardon me, is a, is an achievement in and of itself. I'm not quite sure about that. I didn't think Carrigan stepped up himself that much, which doesn't do his case very, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't do very good things for his case. He fragged, but mostly at the bottom for a lot of the games. And some of the games, perhaps this is down to a map pool, but they had some very dreadful blowouts where they lost maps with some players getting only four kills. Um, what was interesting was at, at various times, some of the players stepped up who we haven't seen highlights from for a while, like Cutler and Drone. JDM occasionally popped off, but it it seemed like uh, their T sides were pretty non-existent, which suggests that they just haven't had enough uh, time at all to develop this stuff. Although Carrigan himself has never had really the strongest T sides, but also I think um, one of the things that Carrigan said in an interview with HL TV was that he was having to micromanage some of the players around the map, and that was one of the reasons his stats were low. This doesn't bode well because if they didn't have much team to play before Carrigan came in, then uh, it suggests a project that perhaps needs a thorough overhaul. And personally, I don't really think this was a complete net positive for him. Uh, Envy did manage to get another shot in the minor playoffs, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, In the meantime, let's move on to the Asia Miners. The Asia Miners were eventually run by won by Renegades with Greyhound coming in second, then Vici, MVP, PK, CyberZen, Gosu, Beyond, and Aquus. All in all, this is a fairly predictable result, uh, and it's great news, of course, for the Aussies, and especially Greyhound, who will be making their way to their very first major. This is disappointing, I think, probably the most for MVP, PK, who were ranked higher than they ended up in this tournament. 
And I think the only real surprise here was Vici, who then went to the minor playoffs, as we'll talk about in a second, and were led by top fragger Freeman, who has won himself a lot of fans. Uh, a shame for games uh, for teams such as Beyond and Aquils who couldn't do a little more and get their names out there, but probably this is the sort of experience they will need to actually make a bit of a splash in the online tournaments in the coming year. Now, I don't have a huge amount more to say about these Asia minors because the time difference now being in Europe made it a little hard to watch all these matches. Uh, I'm very excited to see what the Aussie teams are going to do in the major proper and that's about all I have to say about that. Now, the minor playoffs were the four third placings at the four respective minors, and they were Winstrike, of course, from CIS, North from EU, Vichy from Asia, and Envy from NA, and only two teams could go through out of these four. Now, North and Envy were the two favorites here, but the eventual victors were, in fact, Winstrike and Vichy. They will be joining the other teams at the major playoffs, and of particular fun uh, for... uh, (laughs) Well, I guess one thing I, I neglected to point out last week, last week when we were sort of uh, stroking the egos of the Winstrike players, were the fact that World Edit and Waylander, who were previously on the flip side team, uh, those guys were also notorious for qualifying for majors when the time came and doing basically nothing for the rest of the year. Uh, and of course, Kvik and Boomich from Winstrike and formerly QB Fire are, of course, of the same metal as they've now made their third straight major without doing anything of note in between. Norbert continued to impress as a great pickup on this team. We spoke about him last week as being the young prodigy. And Vici, I think, uh, their victory, especially over North, was very surprising to many. Uh, and this is a really exciting to have a new Asian team on the scene. Of course, we do have Tai Lu in the major proper, but to have another Asian team competing at this level is really exciting. Uh, does great things for the scene. And there were a lot of motions on the Vici Twitters and fan pages shortly after. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, now, as I said, it was a bit of a surprise that they managed to beat North in the eventual match-off. Not least, uh, not least, a director of esports at North, whose name is Wimp, aka Jonas Venson. It prompted him to tweet that this is not okay. A worthless showing of CS from start to finish, and I've never been more embarrassed in my life. It will take a long time to recover from this, and we will have to question our approach from A to Z. Sorry to everyone who cheered for us. We deserve nothing. So he's taken that uh, pretty harshly. I think this is bad news for North, and probably Cadian, who has now failed to take this team beyond the levels that MSL actually managed to just before they kicked him. Uh, these guys lost on the en route to even lower-ranked teams such as Windigo. So uh, for a team with the backing of North, that's kind of embarrassing. And I think they may have been better off, in fact, without playing these playoffs, just perhaps morale-wise, because Windstrike and Vichy are definitely not two teams who should be ranked above North, at least in terms of the history of the players. North, we should actually talk about later on in the podcast. I hadn't planned it, but they did issue a a bit of a, an anti-toxicity campaign in this week as well. And maybe we'll get to that at the end. Let's move on to the E-League Invitational. So the E-League Invitational was a $150,000 prize pool played in Atlanta. Only four teams were invited. This was FaZe, Cloud9, Big, and Complexity, and it was eventually won by FaZe. And this was by far the best tournament uh, we've had in a little while in terms of the games played. 
Now, uh, FaZe, of course, were beaten by Ghost in two maps at Ibi Powers, so they did not have a very good start to their new roster. It wasn't looking good for them. And they were beaten by Cloud9 in their opening match for 15 to 19 and 16 to 19 in back-to-back overtimes. And they came back in both, both stages from huge deficits. So they obviously had a little bit of resilience coming into this. They had a bit of something to prove. They had perhaps had a bit of an underdog status uh, from Arby Power Masters, and they proceeded to thrash Complexity. They had a very tight best of three with Big that went all three maps and was actually very close. And over these uh, best of three, the new addition, Zantara's bottom fragged. So this is perhaps just a team without enough practice. I'm talking about Big here. Their, their roles haven't actually settled in. Now, uh, of course, FaZe faced Cloud9 in again in the finals. <clears throat> and this was the best best of three, not only this year, but I think for quite some time. Uh, they were thrashed in the first map on Mirage. Cloud9 seemed to have put in a huge amount of practice getting their Mirage down tight. I think Flush is a bit of a gun at Mirage, full stop. And Automatic really stepped up with an ult. We'll talk about him in a moment. But uh, FaZe managed to come back and beat them on Inferno 16-12 and Train 16-9. Now, this best of three had some of the best plays in ages. And I'd like to just highlight a few here and we'll play some audio clips from them because if you didn't get to watch the match, and even if you did, these are worth hearing again. Now, one of the first ones was Automatic on Orp on Mirage. I think you should search that one out because the first one that that was that was really tight and I thought oh shit automatics a really great opera but the first one that really blew my brain was Kiyoshima this was an inferno he was on very low health he was on the terrorist side he was holding sight on a the post plant situation with an AK and he was tapping down the bullets over the heads of the uh, of the packing crates until he had just one bullet left and he was uh, down to one opponent that was guardian who had an orb and this is how it went down Spreading wide is a threat. Doesn't need a trade track as out he goes. Kijima trying to do what he can. 3 HP. One more to find. Guardian with 22. Can he really do this? Kijima, you can see the head. It's so awkward for Guardian. Does he realize how low Kishima is? Is he out with the pistol? He's got a defuse kit. Kishima dancing, trying to stay alive. Guardian is still with the AWP. Doesn't know that he's so low. He's getting closer now. He's getting closer. Oh! It's a massive tap from Kiyoshima. That's absolutely disgusting. Just for the second round for Cloud9. So much hard work from Kiyoshima. Then this play, as amazing as it was, and it would have been enough to have made this whole map an incredible game, but it was bested by Rain, who went on to get the most mind-boggling 3K with a P250. I basically leapt out of my chair. Uh, on my bed, I think I was watching it. It was very late at this time, and I just could not stop watching. And actually, what we saw from FaZe in an anti-eco on the CT side of Inferno was a three-stack on top of each other with pistols. They were hidden around the arch site, which was a bit fun to see because that wasn't anything we ever saw with Carrigan. So obviously Nico's got some ideas that he's implementing. Bit of a fun strat too, but they managed to kill two of the opposition who basically all came up into their arms up mid and tried to push arch, which was lucky for them. And they wounded the other three. And from that point on, uh, they were all dead and Rain was the last one alive and he came out of arch having rotated from B. The phase are in the unlikely. Is there a pop flag for Flusher? Smoke towards. Hello? Oh dear! So many men. No flashbang whatsoever, but the cleanup will be quite nice. And the threat's been eliminated. Oh my god! What the hell was oh! What in the blazes was that? That's incredible!
And now the next best of three, the next uh, match in the best of three went to train and things just somehow got even better. Uh, for some reason, the sleeping giant that is Guardian, aka my favorite player, just suddenly woke up and did a lot of things that we know and love. On an eco, FaZe hit the B site and he managed to get a pistol kill alongside Adren. He snatched up an AWP and took down the final three while defending the bomb. And this is how it went down. And he may be going for a peek soon. Automatic is holding the AWP. If he takes a shot, maybe Zoss's peeks. There's a flashbang, there's a shot, there's the peak, and there's a frag, and another one, and plenty of information. Three kills for Celsius, but now the bomb can get planted, and Guardian's got an AWP. That said, there are some nades to throw in here today. Oh, good catch. You'll have to go for the bomb plant, though, being on the sites, and they know exactly where he is. They could try to just drop a smoke straight on him, although he is backing away now, away from the bomb train, which is a good move, of course. A flash there from a teammate to get him into safety. This is going to get awkward now, but Kyushima's pretty far up here on the upper. If he gets a good timing, maybe he's got this. He has a scope! Oh, he still gets it, does Guardian. Now it's down to rush. He will smoke the bomb for pressure, but he has to tap it as well. Incendiary goes very far. Will Guardian go in front of it? I think he does. Rush has no idea. And there goes Guardian looking for Rush. Oh, and he's done it. Pushing past the Molotov. Very good move there from Guardian. He had a great round. Four kills from him with AWP. So then, as if that wasn't enough, in the next gun round, all Guardian's teammates died, leaving him in a 1v4 after he actually got the first pick, which reminded me of his ace against Fnatic at IEM Katowice last year, where his entire team died in tunnels on B on overpass, and somehow he managed to still win the round with an AWP, picking off the other members of the team one by one, which is still one of the greatest players of all time, in my opinion. So once again, when uh, Guardian was left in this position, I had this little feeling that he could do it, and sure enough, he did. Guardian again versus four. This is unbelievable. Oh, he was so close to that. That would have been a huge frag for him. They know where he is. There's a potential flank. The longer this goes on, the worse his situation. He just got two plays once again. There's oh! the third. Guardian, what is going on? Rush with 5 HP, the Molotov could be everything. He goes last play was towards Ivy. Guardian looking for the ace. Oh! <laughs> this is ridiculous. So Guardian was afforded the MVP for that tournament and for his performance, I think, mostly in the best of three. And I would check that out well uh, as well if you didn't see the whole thing once again. Very worth watching. And this definitely bodes well for the addition of Adrian into the game, into the team, I should say. Uh, a couple of members have said that he's going to have to get used to speaking in English a little more. I didn't think Adren actually went out of his mind, but he did put up solid enough numbers. And what was cool about this lineup was that they actually had a T side for once, which was something that Carrigan was never very good at. Uh, and this bodes well as well for Nico's leadership, including the fact that Yanko came out on a pretty well-publicized HLTV article saying that he's been pretty impressed at how much Nico is on top of things strat-wise. Uh, now, this tournament was not only great because of this best of three, but it also had a, a really great flow on the desk. There were no hosts or analysts who were slowing things down, as there seems to be at least one of these... Uh, there seems to be at these tournaments in terms of at least one person being there who's a bit sort of dry or wooden. Uh, we should do a little wrap-up of Complexity, Big and Cloud9 as well, because there's some interesting things to talk about with these guys. As we mentioned with the Miners, Complexity and Cloud9 have new rosters, and so does Big as well, who have Zentaras. Now, let's speak about Complexity first. I think unless something drastic snaps inside these players, 
this is not looking good for the major. They got two owed by Big and Faze. They lost their two games at I by Power before that. Ricky doesn't look to be a great pickup at this point, which is a shame. Uh, obviously, I'd like to see an Australian do well. Uh, and it seems like a bit of a weird combination here. The one UK player, one Canadian, two US and one Aussie. Uh, of course, we've seen weirder combinations than that, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like it gels to me. These guys are obviously in the top bracket already at the major, at the legend spot, and I just think this is, could be a bit of a shame, a bit of a wasted spot, unless these guys actually do some ridiculous boot camping in the next couple of weeks. I think this spot might be waste, wasted. Uh, of course, because Rike is in this team. And you know what? I like a good redemption story, and I think Stanislaw perhaps maybe due his. That would be fun to see them uh, actually do something, but I remain... Uh, very cautious about uh, predicting any success for them. Uh, now, Big, of course, uh, brought in Zantaras, and he actually bottom-fragged, as I mentioned before, that game against FaZe. But for the rest of the uh, maps, he, he quitted himself quite well, and I think uh, top-fragged for quite a few of them. Um, despite beating Complexity 2-0, these guys lost 0-2 to Cloud9. And it is a little too early to tell for this team. We do know that Gobby has a fairly exhaustive system that he uh, likes to set up with his team and it takes quite a while for everybody to get on board the god b train although i think it was uh perhaps tabs and Otizian who said that uh zantara's zantara's addition to the team has meant they're playing a little looser and they're adopting a little more of a puggy flexible style but uh, i think they're going to be playing uh, they're gonna have to play a lot more before we see whether or not this roster can actually bring out their best in all of these players. As I mentioned, the fact that Zantaras is bottom fragging occasionally means that they probably don't have all their roles sorted yet. And Big is such a strat-heavy team that if they don't have the roles sorted, then we won't see the best things out of this team yet. So, look, I think they actually could do some good things at the Major coming up. Big always does good things at Majors. <laughs> uh, and I don't think this result here is going to be too much of an indicator of their future success. Now, Cloud9 is the most interesting uh, team out of this bracket with a new lineup. I think they showed a huge amount of good things at this tournament, especially their the work they've put in on Mirage, less so on other maps, actually. I think it was Guardian who said in his interview that uh, these, that, that at least FaZe knew statistically that... Um, Cloud9 hadn't played Train so much with this lineup, and that's why they picked it against them. What's cool, I think, about this lineup is that they seem like they're having fun. We've mentioned it before. They're a weird mix of people. Uh, Flusher, Kyo, Rush, Automatic, and Zelsus. I think Rush strikes me as a bit of a soldier, a bit of a warrior who needs a bit of a strong commander. And once he's got that, once he's got the structure and the leadership, he will just go off. But he can't have the distractions of a loose leadership or... Uh, you know, uh, dysfunction in the roster. And it seems to like the mood in the team has settled out. And that's why we're seeing him frag out of control again. Uh, Flusher obviously lends a lot of calm confidence to that team. And that's the structure and, how should I say it, these stable roots that a player like Rush needs. And I think once again, we're seeing people realizing how good Kiyoshima is. He was one of the best things about Faye's roster when they brought on the new lineup uh, with Nico in 2017. And he was one of the main reasons they uh, got some of their first success. So he's obviously a really solid frag to have on that team. And Automatic, as I mentioned, is having some stunning plays with the AWP and has definitely arrived as a world-class AWPer, which is really exciting because there's no question mark about that anymore. And I think we'll be seeing him going toe-to-toe with players like Fallen. Uh, Zelsus, I think, needs a lot more time. Uh, we'll get onto him in a second. There was an interview with Valens that was quite telling, actually, and... 
It was really about the contrast between Flush's leadership and Golden's leadership. And like Rush in another interview, he spoke about the uh, the calmness, the relative calmness of Flush's leadership and the relative slowness of Flush's leadership compared to Golden's, which is far more aggressive. And, and, and Golden, he said, was, was getting people to play harder and faster. And he seemed to suggest he had a much uh, larger preference for Flush's style of leadership, as did Rush in his interview. So I don't think you'll actually see Golden coming back to this lineup. And if he actually does, I don't think it's going to work out. I think they've found a leader who actually they seem to have faith in, who seems to have stabilized this roster uh, a lot. And one of the cool things as well is that there's less of a division amongst the two countries. I think when they had Golden and Flusher, there was also on the other side of the camps, uh, Russian Automatic. And I think that perhaps created somewhat of a blockade in the communication. That would just be a bit of a theory of mine from outside observing. And now that this, that sort of, how should I say, it, a Swedish block has been broken up, <clears throat> I think yeah, there's a lot more diplomacy uh, going on inside the team and probably a flatter hierarchy than we can actually uh, observe from the outside. I think this team is one that probably doesn't have anything to lose at this point because if they don't make it as a team, it's probably not really their fault because... It's not as if they've been making the roster changes themselves or they've been in charge of who they've been signing. In terms of whether or not they'll go far in the next major, I actually think they'll probably upset a few teams. I think they would beat most of the teams in the main qualifier. But once they start going up against older lineups, pardon me, um, who who have a larger pool of maps like uh, NRG, like Ents, maybe even Renegades or Tyloo, they're probably not going to be doing as well unless they boot camp the crap out of things. I really don't see them going that much deeper into the tournament. Uh, I think Zelsus is probably the perfect pickup at this point in time because he's another young guy who can respect Flusher and basically do what he's told. Everyone else on this team has won at least one major. And so because you don't have an imposing another imposing ego coming in um, and and you have actually quite a quietly spoken uh, player in Flusher, despite his notorious table bashing, uh, this might be a match made in heaven because if you had another old pro who who had a big ego, you might have actually gotten a bit of clashing. And I think, yeah, this looks like a good mix of personalities on paper. Now, whether these guys are back on track in uh, the long term, I don't think so. I think, for instance, if you saw these guys get a really bad seed in the major and get banged out by a succession of the top teams, I'd say they faced Astralis, Liquid, FaZe, any of those teams, MIBR. Um, you know, even if they get if they get into the legend spot, then I still don't think that they'll go too far. But if they did, or they faced some early defeats, do they have a tank full of good feelings in history? Like I don't. They obviously they don't. And whether or not that sort of uh, nothing to lose mentality would be enough to bounce back and have some real comebacks or for instance go down 0-2 and then come back 3-2 as Cloud9 did in the Boston Major I don't really see that they would I think a huge part of that particular victory was the bond that the players had and while these guys might be on great terms I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know how deep that bond would run. Um, you know, then again, I think it's such a strange beast as it is. Obviously, a strange precedent has been set with this combination of players. Um, and if you look at the heart of the previous major winning core, who I think was Stewie 2K, uh, they have a very different heart. It's got a lot more experience, but probably less fire. Um, 
And look, here's the thing. We know how good Automatic and Rush can be when they feel comfortable enough to be unleashed. We know how insane Flasher is and how solid Keo is. Um, and it's, obviously, it's just Celsus, really, who remains the big question mark. If he actually managed to show himself to be more than just a solid addition, but actually a new star of the scene, then actually this team might go somewhere in kind of a wild, flash-in-the-dark, uh, upsetting uh, streak. But without him going ham and turning out to be a prodigy, I really don't think they're going to do a huge amount better than they did at this tournament, which was great, by the way. It was a really great, fun tournament. But it was it more it felt like the sort of uh, fluke run that Flusher and Co had at Katowice last year, where you come up against a team who mostly relies on their individual players, and because of because the fact that you have the same sort of uh, way of approaching the game, you might actually have an incredible upset. You have some incredible games that get very close. But if these guys were to come up against Astralis or come up against a, t- a more tightly meshed core like MRBR, I, I don't really think they can compare. Now let's move on to HLTV's best player of 2008, which was, of course, simple. We didn't address it uh, when it was called out, and so let's do it now. So HLTV last week named their number one player for 2018, and just pipping out Device, who was number two, was Simple, who had six MVP awards, four wins in big tournaments, and an HLTV rating of 1.33 for the year. He had the highest big event rating, the highest big event playoffs rating, and the highest kills per round in big events. And he's now the youngest player to achieve a number one in the HLTV top 20 of all time. He is 21 years old. And of course, his uh, real name is Alexander Kostyliev. Let's hear a little uh, montage of his greatest moments as put together by Josh my news editor, who's back, baby, and has done a great job collecting some of these insane highlights. In the position by Simple rotating in. So He's scary. Got one, what a second snap. Unbelievable Ooh. from Simple. Seconds remain, and Simple is still alive on the side, just hiding. I have no idea. He's there. Great flick from Simple. Three on oh. one, and Simple's going nuclear. Off there on Seuss, and that leaves Simple alone in a one versus three. Gets one, the headshots to follow up. Oh my god, and Crystal goes down. Simple, you monster. Oh god, somebody make it stop. Simple, oh my god, he lined up for that shot. I'm not even sure if he saw the second player. There's a quad kill. He's only got one. He's gonna get the last one as well. Oh. <laughs> a little bit of support from Electronic Late. Flash out immediately. Simple wants to go, but he's still wrapping in through Ruin, so that flash is too soon. Oh, what? What is that? How creative. Simple hiding in the corner. How far in are they going to peek? There's a headshot. Oh my god. Following it up. An electronic with one of his own. Simple just one four. He's eating all of them. Quad kill for him. Oh my god. Guardian reveals that he's coming from Ivy. Low HP. Easy from oh! Simple. And he nails Nico. So one of the other fun things about this top 20, which was the first, was the fact that Astralis had all five members of their team in the top 20 for the first time. So that's pretty awesome. It was simple device, Nico, Electronic, Dupree, Naf, Magisk, Glaive, Crims, Cold Zero, Guardian, Twists, Zipix, Oscar, Elige, Sunny, Automatic, Rain, Rops, and Valde. And I believe just missing out was Ethan from NRG. All right, let's move on to, to some final thoughts before we end the podcast. We've got a little break now before... The Counter-Strike gets really thick and heavy again. The next tournament is going to be We Play Lock and Load. That is a $50,000 online tournament only. That's happening in two days on January 30th till Feb 3rd. 
and it features 12 teams, including the new lineup of Virtus Pro and a bunch of teams we've just seen uh, recently, like a big optic and vitality. After that, of course, we have the Katowice main qualifier starting on February 13th, and then the big kahuna itself, the Katowice major, starting on Feb 20th and ending March 3rd. Unfortunately, even though I'm going to be in Europe, I won't be able to attend this major as the big project I'm working on will be actually starting on March 3rd, so that's a bit of a disappointment. But hopefully I can get over there perhaps on a Sunday before then and see if I can uh, crash anyone's boot camps and uh, say hello. Now, uh, just before we end, there was just a couple of things, I guess a bit of housekeeping that I wanted to mention. Uh, I got a bit of feedback on the last episode that was posted on Reddit from a user called United Life 819, United for Life 819, who said, I just finished listening to this episode. I'm normally okay with your rambling because it somehow relates to CSGO, but this episode was the worst. What does convicts having sex at Botany Bay have to do with CSGO or the economy of Australia? You got to dial it back sometimes because this episode was such a drag to get through. Uh, And I replied, yeah, there was a lot of rambling, which is why I put the CSGO stuff up front so you could skip the rest if you wished. I agree the links between stuff wasn't clear. My brain is fried and I'm working too much right now to plan episodes as thoroughly as I've been able to in the past. Convicts having sex at Botany Bay has nothing to do with Counter-Strike. It's just an interesting story. But the economy of Australia no longer has the mobility it used to have back in the 80s. And the US has even less. And this is potentially disempowering for young people. Therefore... They may be more likely to play empowering video games like Counter-Strike. And I went on to say, I, like I started this podcast because I wanted an ultra-fast way to catch up on Counter-Strike news. There was one podcast uh, maybe a year and a half ago that was doing it, but that ended and no one else was doing it. Um, it has been the personal or tangential stuff that I get the most out of just doing it and I get the most positive feedback from. For instance, when I talked about parents during the Christmas episode, So I'm still trying to find the right balance and it definitely depends on what my mood is like going into this because there's no structure. I'm not getting paid. I don't have much free time and I don't always have the same free time. Even Josh, my news editor is like, can we do this weekly? Like, can we do this every, every weekend? I'm just like, I can't promise that. I don't know if I can do that. Um, And week in, week out, you know, my schedule changes. I don't have a job that is in an office regularly in the same place. Um, so yeah, it's kind of up and down and I guess why I brought this up, um, I should, I should mention United Life, United for Life 819 went on to say, still love the podcast. So I've been listening since episode one. So that's nice. But I would say if you're going to leave me feedback, um, and this only really occurred to me as I was sitting down to record this episode, actually, I would say, uh, probably don't tell me what I should do with it. Don't tell me I've got to do something with it or, or, you know, this user said I've got to dial it back sometimes. I don't have to do anything. This is my podcast. Um, I started it myself. I pay for it myself. I host it myself. Um, If you want me to do something or you want to give me feedback, that's great. And I thank this guy or this person for their feedback. I love getting your feedback. That's one of the reasons I do it. But you've got to remember that this is my podcast. This is my spare time. Um, And if you're going to leave me feedback just be a little more realistic with what you expect from me. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Um, what I think it kind of leads me on to is this thing about North. Now, if you didn't see Reddit recently, North 
uh, after some of their more surprising losses, posted uh, some screenshots of some of the death threats they got. And I guess they were calling out the people who were being really obnoxious to them. And there were some horrible things that were said to them on their email and on their Twitters and on the instant messages from people who were obviously really angry that they'd lost money betting on this team. And the amount of pros and other teams who spoke up as well and said, you know, this is a really tough problem for us as well was kind of overwhelming. And then they, in, as a result, either North or their community manager decided to start a campaign uh, called hashtag stop toxicity. And they got behind this pretty full on to the fact that to the point where they even had this printed on their jerseys. Now, there was also some community backlash because at least what I saw on Reddit, because people were saying, like, why would you call this out? This is a PR stunt. Uh, it's a it, it had sort of reminiscences of uh, uh, of bully hunters, which was which was the most bizarre <laughs> thing uh, happened a year ago. Um, I'm not going to rehash that old nugget. You can look it up if you didn't hear about it, but it's well worth uh, doing a bit of research on because it was just from another dimension. Um, I think when I see this sort of thing, of course, it makes me think about a segment I had on this podcast for quite some time when I was playing Counter-Strike called Toxic Player of the Week. And it was very much based around the fact that I was encountering so much toxicity on a daily basis that was quite like shocking to me. Um, and quite appalling Uh, and it definitely definitely cleaned up and cleared up so much when the trust factor came in that I just didn't have enough toxic players to keep the segment going Um, and I think when I was doing that uh, it was so bizarre to me the level of vitriol that would come through my speakers from people I didn't know that it it wasn't so much that I was naming and shaming these people but I was sharing my uh, incredulity at them um, one thing that I think, though, like that was just kind of for fun on my podcast. And I think one thing that I also think about when I look at this North uh, campaign is what I learned in advertising school, which is that you don't really get people to do things by being by giving a negative message. You get people to do things by giving a positive message. So instead of saying quit smoking, uh, which is a negative thing because it's saying don't do something, you say become a non-smoker because that's positive. Or, or, or um, get your lungs clear because it's a positive thing to uh, focus on. So I don't think this is a, a very well thought out campaign if North want to enhance the positivity in the community in general. Uh, I think they might do better off by promoting something far more positive um, and perhaps just uh, focusing on the positive messages they get, which they have done. They have since that uh, particular spate of toxicity was talked about on their podcast uh, on their on their twitter they focused on some of the more positive messages they got including from vichy gaming who were the team that of course knocked them out of the minor uh i think when it comes to the toxicity that occurs on these games part of the reason i found it so confronting was because i think there was a huge difference in the in the reasons that i was playing counter-strike and some of the young people i was playing against were playing and there was obviously a huge amount of uh, frustration and resentment and anger in these uh, young guys' lives that I didn't have in mind, I didn't grow up with. Uh, and I think those are issues that run really deep. And when I was talking about the socioeconomic uh, mobility and the lack of it or, the, or the, the diminishing 
mobility last week, I was trying to get at some of those issues, which may be economic, maybe the lack of opportunities, maybe the lack, the lack of feeling like there's actually a reason to get up in the morning and try and make a better life for yourself or or do something different to what you've been doing your whole life. Try something different. Trying a new, uh, trying to learn a new skill or trying to uh, change your life for the better. I think there's a, if you don't have a clear way or a clear motivating goal or if someone hasn't told you that something's possible, it's very difficult to feel like something is. And without those clear indicators of possibility, uh, I think toxicity can come out of that. I also think that if we see things that we can't have, that's where a lot of the rage comes from. And I definitely was playing with a very wide spectrum of people when I was playing regularly from a very wide spectrum of socioeconomic brackets, including a lot of people who were um, who were living like in very, very different regions to each other. Uh, some of them in in far more rural areas with a much lower socioeconomic bracket uh, than others. And I wouldn't say those people were more toxic, but there was definitely uh, like classes rubbing up against each other like on a daily basis, like from game to game. And I think that can bring out a lot of frustration too. Not that anyone can tell anyone's class on, um, you know, via uh, via playing a game. But people definitely had very different ways of dealing with each other. And, and, and it, it, I mean, I am the first to admit that my naivety and my incredulity with this toxicity probably fueled it in a lot of cases because I let it affect me. Whereas was, was I more used to it? Was I perhaps in a, in a less, did I perhaps grow up in a less protected environment? I wouldn't have given a shit. And one thing that really fuels people's anger is if you act like they shouldn't be angry because then that makes them even more angry because you're it's someone else who's telling them what they can and can't do. And that's where a lot of the anger comes from, being being feeling like you, you, you've been told what you can and can't do. Uh, and so that's why I think this stop toxicity is not a great thing because you are telling people who are angry what to do. Hence, you're just kind of piling logs into the fire. Anyway, that's all my thoughts for this week. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can... Follow me on Twitter at the Truth CSGO. Send me an email, the truth at thetruthcsgo.com. My Discord is on the Twitter. We haven't been on there much, but I think uh, come the major, we'll be on there a lot more because it'll be a it'll be a more regular time for me. Some of the reasons I haven't been on in the past is because to be up as late as I should have been to watch the matches would have been would have meant that I was talking. <laughs> And where I was living until recently, I had a lot of flatmates and I didn't want to disturb them. But there will be no fear of that in the future. So there'll be more Discord action. Uh, until next episode, I don't know what next episode is going to be. I guess there's going to be one little tournament to talk about, but maybe we'll just have a little chat about um, life and stuff. But until then, enjoy the game.